what's really cool for me uh, doing this show is just the connections that I make uh, with with the different guests that I have on the show. So you guys might remember I interviewed a guy named Sean Stokewell on the show, and he's a professional basketball player, but he helps with you know PT strength and conditioning and injury prevention and and all those things uh, with the athletes and so forth. So he's doing a lot of that uh, as well as playing professional basketball. Well, I saw a post of his where he was talking with this guest on our show. Uh, and I was like, Man, I got to connect with her because I went to her Instagram page and I saw what she was about and I just loved what she was about. So I hit her up and here we are. We're going to be bringing this interview to you. Um, our guest is amazing. She was a former college soccer player, three-time All-American. She's published two books, but she's helping as a speed and strength coach for female soccer players. That's what she's doing now. She's taking her strengths and skill sets to that uh, part of the world and helping these athletes become bigger, stronger, faster, and just helping them all around. And it's really cool to hear her insight as a female athlete and uh, just to get her insight on the sport of soccer, uh, college athletics, and why she made the choice to go to the school that she did. Her name is Erica Suter, and we're excited to bring her on. So please get ready. Take notes. This is the Game Time Guru. So what time is it? Game Time Boost. This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. My name is Shane Larson, host of the show. As you guys know, we're finishing up, you know, year six. We're going to go into our seventh year running here of this show. Um, sorry, seventh year. It's starting in 2017. January will be seven years of running this show. And I want to give a shout out to everybody who's ever joined me on the show and anyone who's ever listened to the show or shared this podcast with anybody. It started in my kitchen in Meridian, Idaho, and when I was 28 years old. And now it's in 182 countries, all 50 states. And it's thanks in large part to everybody who's ever joined the, the podcast and been a part of it. I always say it, it takes a village. And I mean that. And I appreciate everybody's support. So with that being said, if you guys enjoyed today's episode, I just encourage you guys to leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that's the best way to get that out to the most people. One review can really make that uh, blow up. If you guys didn't know that, that is the algorithm hack to Apple Podcasts. So just want to let you guys know, any review that you get, pushes that out to more people. I'm not shy about that. I tell everybody the information. So like I said in the in introduction, we've got a very special guest on the show. Um, interesting that we have, we connected through a, a mutual guest of our shows together. Um, and now I get to pick her brain and learn more about her story and what she's doing to, you know, impact athletes and, and everyone in the sports world. Her name is Erica Suter and uh, she's joining the show and we're excited to have her. So Erica, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So your bio in Instagram, three-time college All-American soccer, right? You're a, a, a college soccer player, former college soccer player, three-time All-American. I want to pick your brain on that piece first before we get kind of into what you're doing now as a strength coach and, and helping in that form. I want to talk to you as the athlete yourself um, and kind of get to pick your brain there. So you competed at a very, very high level of your sport. But before that, Erica, when did you know that you could essentially be playing at the next level for your sport? Like, did you know pretty early on that you're like, hey, I can I can play competitively at the next level after high school? 
That's a great question. And it's always fun to reflect back on my journey because it's a little bit different than what you see today in youth athletes. And I played rec soccer until I was in uh, high school. And I never really was too serious about it as a young kid. I just kind of fell in love with it and just really enjoyed every time I got to go to soccer practice. And there weren't a lot of travel clubs and travel leagues back then. But if you were on a travel team, it was like a really big deal. And yeah. I think as I started to go through middle school and then eventually got into high school, I was getting older. I was becoming more emotionally and physically mature. And that's when I made the decision myself that I wanted to go to the next level and try out for a travel team. My parents did mention it to me, but they never forced it. They were just like, hey, it looks like you love the game and you're really good at it and you just have a natural ability. Maybe you should try playing at the next level. And I, I gave it a shot and I uh, made a travel team when I was a teenager. And that's when I started to get more serious about soccer. That's when I started to just pick that sport before then I was doing gymnastics and ballet and lacrosse even and all those sports really helped my soccer ability like my speed my agility my spatial awareness my uh, decision making and I'm just really grateful that I got to sample all that early and once I got into high school I just picked soccer because I wanted to stay healthy and not um, physically uh, get injured and mentally burn out. So picked one sport and then I decided to play for the best travel team in the state of Maryland because they were going to all the college showcases at the time. And I started to narrow down schools I wanted to play college soccer for. And I was looking at all divisions, um, division one, division three schools. Um, I got recruited to play at University of Wisconsin, University of Maryland in the ACC, George Washington University, and all big D1 schools. But in the end, I actually decided to play Division Three at Johns Hopkins University. And I really just wanted to go to a smaller school and go into a program where I really liked the team culture and the girls and just like the traditions of the program. And it also was a winning team. And I wanted to be on a team that was doing well. And also where I could get a lot of playing time. And Coach Leo told me that I, if I came in in shape and worked really hard, I would be starting as a freshman. And I worked hard that summer and he followed through on that promise. And I started early in my freshman season and then started the rest of the games my career and contributed a lot to the program. So that's how it all unfolded. I'm really grateful for the experience. And every day I miss college soccer. I think it's like, like playing college sports is one of the best experiences an athlete can have. And I always encourage the girls I coach to shoot for the stars and try to play in college. So yeah, that's my story. <laughs> no, it's super cool. I wanted to unpack a couple of things that you said right there. That's awesome. I, I love the, the decision that you made. Um, some people are like, and I coach, I coach basketball on the club level. So we travel and a lot of the kids are like, Oh, I'm going to go D one or bust. I'm like, no dude. Like I know that mentality. I've been there myself. But um, 
there's so much more to it. And you made a decision to go D3 because, and you mentioned there, there's a couple of factors, you know, the tradition of the team and the, the winning program and, and whatnot. Um, I want to ask you about the competition level. Did you feel like there was some solid competition even at the D division three level? Because a lot of kids always look down on this and I don't want them to look down on that. I want them to understand that there's the next level. Those are all college athletes, but I want to ask from your perspective, having played there, um, did you feel like the competition had kind of risen from your high school days? Oh, definitely. I mean, the the conference we were in was pretty tough. I mean, we were playing teams like uh, Swarthmore, Gettysburg, Dickinson. They all were really good at the time. And the games were really tight. They were like one nothing, two to one games and going into like double overtimes. So it was really hard within the conference. But um, we made the NCAA AA tournament every year and got uh, to the elite eight. That's the furthest we advanced when I was playing at Hopkins. And we were playing like number one, number two teams in the country, like Messiah and um, I'm trying to think who else, like College of New Jersey and Amherst. Like the competition was really tough. And sometimes I feel at that level, a lot of these teams could beat certain D1 programs. Um, you know, there's certain D1 programs that it's like, oh, I've never really heard of that school. Like, who are they? <laughs> um, you know, like University of Rhode Island and schools like that. It's like and even like Towson University and in Baltimore, Maryland, we scrimmaged them in the offseason my junior year and we beat them three nothing. Oh, so, wow. yeah. So, I mean, I think like D1 matters when it comes down to like the top 25, like your Stanford's, your UNC's, but anything like beyond that, there's a lot of D3 uh, top 25s that could give these programs a run for their money. So I don't think athletes should ignore D3. I don't think they should ignore D2 or even junior college programs. I've watched a lot of these games at all levels and it's good soccer. <laughs> it's very yeah. impressive. And I, I think everyone's competitive now and like any athlete should be looking at all levels. I love that. I, I absolutely love that. And Erica, what would you say was the biggest transition for you um, going to the, the collegiate level? I've talked to a lot of athletes on here and I just like to get their opinions. I mean, maybe it was the academic side of things because a lot of people, you know, I've talked to athletes, girls and guys are like, oh, I mean, you had to keep your grades up and it was a different thing. Some of it was time management. Some of it was the actual uh, athletic side of it. So I'm just curious, was there, what was the biggest transition going to, to college? Was it to be a student athlete in college compared to that of high school? I think the academics were the hardest for me. <laughs> I mean, I was a really good student in high school, but Johns Hopkins was really hard. Like nothing could have really prepared me for calculus or microeconomic theory like it, these classes were insane and then on top of that you're with your team monday through saturday doing practices and then two games a week and you're just like struggling with the academic load so it really taught me how to like stay on top of things and manage my time better but also to really just use my resources and get involved in like team or class study groups and spend time in the library um so it was tough but i'm also grateful for that because I think managing that time and juggling so much like overwhelming work has really helped me with my life now, obviously, because I, I am an entrepreneur and I have like a hundred projects going on at once. So now it just like doesn't really phase me because I look back and I'm like, dang, I feel like 
being a student was way more stressful. Like I don't miss that part that much. Like I honestly think adulting is way easier. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny. You say, I do. <laughs> I hated college, man. And I wasn't even like a collegiate athlete. That's the thing. I it's, it was hard, but it's cool to hear. That's what I was, I was, you actually answered the question I was going to follow up, but I want to emphasize what you said. I thought that it was cool that you mentioned utilizing resources, uh, team study groups, going to the library and stuff like that. Cause my question was going to be if, what advice would you give to, you know, those who are about to make their transition over to being a college athlete. And I think that kind of answers that. I thought that was really cool because there are resources out there. Um, and you're going to have to probably take advantage of those. A lot of these uh, young athletes, girls, guys, whatever need to realize that there is going to be an adjustment period, most likely. So <laughs> whether you're a great student or not, sometimes the workload does bear down on you, especially when you've got practice and all the other things that you have to do on the athletic side of things. It's hard enough just to be a student at the athletics on top of it. It's like, whoa, <laughs> especially high level athletics. If your school is really good and you're competing for championships and so forth, there's, there's so much pressure there. Um, Erica, when you were in uh, college, do you have a, um, a favorite memory uh, from a game of yours? Maybe it was the Elite Eight that you were talking about, uh, but was there a favorite memory that you had uh, competing at the collegiate level? I mean, there's so many. I, I I can't pick one, but overall, I just loved our home games and our home game wins. Like it's, there's just nothing like it when like other sports teams and your friends are there supporting you and then like after the game you like go out and you celebrate and you do it all as a team and I think it's like really hard for a group of 30 girls on a team to get along but the Hopkins team was really different like we all were really good friends um you know not all of us were best friends and always hanging out but we all got along which was really important and we always like did everything together after the games or before the games and it's, it's really tough to find that in a lot of college teams now because you hear a lot about certain cliques and team drama and really bad experiences and forcing girls to transfer programs. And I'm just glad I didn't have to go through that. And I had a really great team. We had really fun traditions and like pregame rituals. Like it, all that was just such a blast. And like those are the memories with soccer that really stick out. I, I get asked all the time, like, oh, do you remember like your best goal? And I'm like, not really. Like <laughs> there it's like all a blur, but like the memories with the team, like I always remember those. That's so cool. Like that's I love your answers because it's different than the norm. It's not like a favorite goal. It's like the sisterhood aspect of it, like your friendships and the bonds that you created with the girls that were in the locker room with you, you know, and they were I mean, it sounds so corny to people who don't understand sports, but uh, you'll understand it's like you go to battle for lack of a better term with these people and you're with them a lot. So you're with them a lot. And there's like bonds and friendships that people would just wouldn't understand. Even in the workforce, you don't, man, I like, I manage a team of six, six people. I don't see them. They're all across the world. They're not even here. So like, I don't get to actually see them every day. And so it's just funny to me, like if sports bring you into a different uh, bond than anything else probably ever will outside of your own family for the most part. So I think it's cool to hear that now. I, I did want to ask, was there a coach or a teammate that uh, was a mentor to you that uh, taught you something? And if they did, could you share what they taught you that you took with you uh, from your experience playing? One of my favorite coaches of all time was my travel soccer coach and also my uh, personal skills trainer when I was in high school. Her name's Laurie Shoy. 
And she actually played soccer at UNC, one of the best college programs in history. And she actually was supposed to be better than Mia Hamm, but she got injured from a, a hamstring strain, um, which is like really interesting because no one's ever, never really heard of Laurie Shoy, but she was such an amazing player. And even Anson Dorrance, the coach of UNC himself, said that she could have been better than Mia Hamm. So I was very lucky to work with her and she just taught me so much. I mean, she taught me to just really throw myself into challenge and our skill sessions were very different from the rehearsed nonsense you see today in soccer skill sessions, like, you know, players dribbling through cones or doing moves against a dummy, um, the trainer kind of telling them where to go. Laurie and I literally played 1v1s for an hour straight every session. <laughs> so I played against her and she was stronger than me. Obviously, she was several years older than me at the time. I think she was like 26 years old and I was like 15, 15, 16 years old. So I was really throwing myself into challenge. And she also was one of the most skilled and like creative and flashy players ever at UNC. So she taught me a lot about 1v1 moves and having a lot in my toolbox to use against defenders. I was a left midfielder, so I had to be really good at 1v1s. And she just taught me how to use both feet, do different fake outs and scissors moves. And it was just incredible. And I learned so much just playing 1v1s against her. And I think just really like putting myself in that challenging environment allowed me to really grow and take my game to the next level for college. That's awesome. And that's something I can take note of even as a basketball coach, not even the soccer world um, with the players that I, I try to go one-on-one -on -one with them. I try to play with them sometimes, but it's not like uh, I need to be more deliberate in that approach and not have it so rehearsed. I, I think every coach that's listening to this can probably take note of that. That's huge. Shout out Laurie. Mm -hmm. Do you still have a connection with her to this day? Yeah, I talked to her, I think it was like a couple years ago, we're still connected through Facebook, which again, the power of social media, it's nice to stay in touch with people. And I've made it a point to thank her, especially like when I was done playing at Hopkins, I remember reaching out to her and being like, hey, I wouldn't have gotten here without you. And even after college, when I started coaching, I let her know that she inspired me to coach. So I think it, it was really important for her to, to just give thanks to her because she was a big part of my life for so many years. That's so cool. Like it had an impact on you and it, it obviously, you know, was a major impact because it's kind of helped build a foundation for what you were doing and what you continue to do. And, you know, my next question is the coaching side of things, Erica, you, you, you obviously played, you competed at a high level, but, um, they always say this is what I've, this is at least what I've said, you know, not all, not all of the greatest players make the greatest coaches and not all of the best employees make the best managers or bosses or leaders, right? There's, but there's a special skill set that it takes to coach and, and regardless of what type of coach that is. And so that's why not all players want to coach because it's, it's hard. It's, it's a different skill set. You have less control and so forth. And I want to ask you like, what, was the deciding factor, obviously having the influences such as Lori and then others, I'm sure in your life, but like being a coach and right now you're, you're doing speed and strength coaching for female soccer players, but like, what was the the decision? How did you make that decision? Did you know you wanted to be a coach your whole life? Or was that kind of like, okay, I think I can take these skill sets and translate it and help the next generation. I never thought I would be a coach, especially like majoring in economics at Johns Hopkins university. <laughs> 
um, you never know where you're going to end up. But I, uh, when I graduated, I did a lot of coaching abroad and I worked with really young kids and developed a passion for that. And when I got back, I started to do like private skills lessons for youth soccer players. And then I realized that there was such a need for the performance side of soccer. And I was in a way contributing to this whole early specialization and overuse problem by giving them more of what they're already getting enough of. And um, this was back in 2013 when strength and conditioning was starting to be a thing. A lot more like gyms were starting to open up, uh, female athletes were starting to get into the gym more. And I was like, wow, I really want to be a part of this movement and really show female athletes that they need to get strong for their sport. So they reduce chance of injury. They need to speed train consistently. So they continue to get faster and, and raise the, the bar on their performance. So I just saw a need for it. And I, I just went all in. And I think also a part of it was I did speed strength and conditioning when I was in middle school and I did it all the way through my career and I saw such amazing benefits physically and also mentally. And I just want to continue to share that with female soccer players. And it's also something that I want them to get excited about, even when they're done playing their sport, because it's like, when you're done, you still have to be strong. You, you still have to have, you know, a body that can endure the aging process so that you stay healthy for a lifetime. So I think that is more powerful than sometimes the sports side of performance training. So cool. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting that you bring that up. It's very common for you to see like guys doing speed and strength and conditioning stuff. Like even at a high school level, there's a lot of like, even here in Idaho, there's a ton of strength and conditioning programs that go and work with the local high schools. They, you know, sign contracts with them and they're there at five 30 in the morning doing it. But it's usually the guys programs. But what's funny to me is when you see the girls programs, like sometimes the, the girls volleyball programs that I know around here, I cover high school media and or high school athletics in the media. And you start to see that they have there's levels to the game. And so you'll start to see that those, those girls are actually like destroying the other teams. And there's probably a reason there. Like you were saying, there's, there's, some common denominators in what they're doing that they're not, the others are not doing consistently. And that speed and conditioning and strength training and all that stuff that I think was just kind of, I guess, prior, like uh, before the last 10 years, it just seemed a little like it just was something that the girls didn't really focus as much on. But now it is, it's like an essential part of the game. Cause you start to see as the, as they go up in levels of athletics, girls are bigger, stronger, faster, just like in the guys side of things, they're bigger, stronger, faster. And like, you've got to, you got to get on there. I think that's awesome that you jumped in on that movement because I've noticed that we've talked about that. It's funny you said that we've talked about it. My business partners and I were like, yeah, well, there's a reason that this team and this program consistently destroys everybody else. Those girls are, they're at the weight room. They're doing the things at the facility that they have the kind of like the other teams aren't doing that. And so anyway, it's funny you mentioned that because it just separates. Um, what would you say is one of the biggest uh, for, for female soccer players across the country, the ones that you're seeing, especially at the youth age, what are they missing though? Outside of just like speed and condition, like what are they, are we seeing a, an influx in injuries? Are we seeing a lack of something? Like what would you say is like one of the biggest things that you're providing them that they were missing before? Yeah, I think now more of them are strength training and they're, they're getting in the gym a lot, which is really great. But I also think they're really missing the speed piece and they're not getting enough of that all out 
max velocity sprint to really make their hamstrings able to tolerate that in a game. And I think that's also one of the reasons why we see a lot of ACL injuries is they're not getting training at these higher velocities because at practice, they're just practicing on half the field just because that's how clubs work. Now they just put every team on one soccer field. So at maximum, they're probably getting like, 15 yard 20 yard sprint but they're never really reaching 40 yards or more all out so it's really important that they get that speed training and that that's a missing piece and then another one is the load management piece i've i've seen girls in the past few years who are the strongest in the gym uh and they seem to do everything right And then they still get injured and it's like, okay, well, why is that happening? And it's because their load is mismanaged. And usually that happens within practices and games. And the the team coach is either either overloading them, uh, especially with like using conditioning as punishment or um, just like extra conditioning after small sided games and just like really spiking their training loads or they're not being um, loaded enough. So they're underloaded and not prepared for the game. So that's one of the biggest missing pieces. And I think it's hard for a lot of coaches to implement because they don't have the GPS technology. And even if they do, they don't know what data to look at. Like they're not sports scientists. And I think for us to truly do load management properly, it is a full-time job. It's a separate position, whether you hire someone like me as a contractor or bring someone into your club to look at the data and interpret it and then give actionable steps. I think that's going to really help girls. But yeah, I mean, I've seen some of the strongest and fastest girls get injured because there's a lack of load management within the clubs. And they're also pretty much playing year round. I mean, (laughs) there's no off season gone are the days of having two to three months off to do something else and to do a true speed strength and conditioning program uh, without overusing it's, I mean, especially at the highest levels with uh, travel girls soccer, they have showcases in December after high school season. And then they have showcases in May that go through June and July to national championships that are overlapping with high school lacrosse or club soccer season. So it's like when we really look at the schedule on a macro level, they might be getting like two weeks fully off a year. (laughs) And that's like being nice. So it's, yeah, the load piece is just so hard and, it's like solving calculus upside down sometimes, you know, as, as a strength coach, you feel like sometimes dang, like, I don't know if I can really like do much. And that's just being fully transparent. I've had a lot of conversations with colleagues, even at the highest level, they're like, yeah, I feel like I'm not really helping because these schedules are crazy and no one like knows how to use GPS technology. <laughs> yeah, man. What a, that's super insightful. That kind of takes me down an entire other path. I have a friend of mine named Chris, Chris Hansen, and he was actually talking about why he won't let his son play club basketball right now uh, in the middle in middle school. And he said, oh, "Basketball is even worse." <laughs> well, it's the same concept, yeah. though, right? Is what you're saying, like, because he goes, "We're in the middle of our school season, but club basketball overlaps school basketball in the middle school atmosphere, not the high school atmosphere." But like, so it overlaps that level, and yeah, it doesn't 
they travel on a weekend, then they come back and he goes, he's too young for that. He's too young to be getting his legs burnt out like that. He can't recover, blah, blah, blah. And my friend happens to be a, a strength and conditioning coach uh, for, for younger athletes here in the, in the state of Idaho. But we were talking about that. And I, at first was like, dude, he's, he's young enough. He can handle it. But then I started talking to him more and I was like, actually, no, that's probably a good idea. And then you said that. And I'm like, oh, you're right though. Like that's so now here's the thing though, I guess, Erica, I've talked to other people like, so like mental conditioning coaches too. There's, that's a whole nother field. That's a whole another full-time job. And then potentially someone like yourself who could be another, like a contracted worker to do this full-time job to look at the data. Do you see that being something that starts to take, like, I guess, to be a priority for these programs or do you see it trending in the same way as like well this is how we've always done it we're going to continue to do it this way or do you see like some people saying oh you know what we need an erica at our program and so we can fork out the budget for it yeah that's that's a tough one so i i am seeing more uh, coaches and clubs outsourcing remotely which is great because it provides them with quality programming and also at a cheaper cost than bringing someone in full time. But the issue with that is if it's all done remotely and maybe like the coach or someone who might not know the technique of all the exercises is like sharing the program with the team, like that can be tough, but honestly it's better than nothing. So that's a positive. And I think more uh, coaches and clubs are realizing the importance of this stuff but budget is definitely an issue. But my my argument would also be, well, you guys are adding like extra like skills nights and skills trainers and other things and spending money on those resources when they don't necessarily need that. So maybe you can cut back there and then spend on a quality performance coach and program. Makes sense. Um, man, I, uh, yeah, that's, I just, it's, it's, it's one of those things is we're starting to see more specialized coaches and more information coming out. Like what you are sharing. Um, it's just hard to see. Cause some of the, they just, they're like, well, what do we need to focus on? Do we need to focus on training the kids? Cause what, like if they have to pick one or the other, it's hard for them to like, for programs to figure out what's the, the biggest priority. Um, and, but you also don't have an all in one encompassing thing for everybody. And it, and it causes problems, I think, for the development of, of the, uh, of the athletes in different programs, but it's, it's so cool that you have the skill set. Um, I want to ask you what you think the state of soccer, women's soccer is in the United States all around. Um, do you feel like it's getting more powerful, uh, even at the professional level? Um, or do you feel like it has a ways to go still? I mean, the, the U S national team, first and foremost, they, they've made a statement worldwide. And when I was growing up, I, watch the team from the 90s with me and ham and michelle Akers and brandy chastain scoring that legendary penalty kick against china and i really think that team back in the 90s like started women's sports yeah. <laughs> like all credit goes to them i mean everyone took it seriously and we're like wow like these women like are serious and mean business and it just it started women's soccer. It started like women's sports getting on a more world stage. Like it was incredible. And um, even in like the early 2000s, mid 2000s, the US national team still was one of the best in the world. And I think now what we're starting to see is like, we're still solid, but then you also have other countries that are starting to catch up to us. 
yeah. and um, just kind of own their unique styles. Like no one's going to ever play like Spain or France or the the English women. And it, it's really cool to see. Like, of course, I want the U.S. to be the best in the world. I live here. But it's also cool that we're not just like obliterating teams. Like I want women's soccer to be competitive and for other countries to really challenge us. And actually, I'm part Dutch. My dad grew up in Amsterdam. My family all lives out there. And I always root for the Netherlands. They're like best, one of the best teams in the world too. So it's cool to just see all these teams like doing so well and just like really raising the women's game. And I think even with uh, youth girls soccer, it's really grown, especially with the Girls Academy League and the ECNL. And I didn't really have those when I was growing up. We just had, um, I think it was called WAGS. That was like the only like big league for girls and now there's there's more than one and I think like the leagues now like definitely give more opportunities for showcases and traveling to cool places like San Diego and Florida and Texas and Seattle and all over so yeah I think it's definitely grown and I think it's only going to keep growing because more and more girls are enrolling in soccer than ever before but the key is to make sure we keep them in the game and we don't burn them out when they're too young totally i can say from my perspective uh from a media perspective i actually prefer women's soccer at the professional level than i mean especially in the united states i, and I, I know it sounds rude i don't want to discredit any male soccer players that are playing they're awesome they're very talented obviously i understand that um, but I, I think the entertainment factor, I, I feel like the women's game and personally, I think it's actually high level talent. It's fun to watch. I don't know. That's me. I, I lived in Brazil for two years. And so soccer was naturally like a massive sport down there. And it was wild. Like it was wild to watch like some of the competition there, especially on the men's side, but like coming back to the United States, I thought it was awesome to see the, uh, the women. I just think the women are like very talented here. I think it's awesome, especially in the sport of soccer. I just, I think it's super, super cool. Um, you know, Erica, I wanted to ask you about the books. You're an author, and I I, th I geek out about this. Those who follow me know, like, I'm I, I'm an entrepreneur. I work a full time job, but I also like in my full time job, I help entrepreneurs all day long, like build their businesses using our software, build courses, build challenges, all that stuff. I want to write a book, though. I haven't ever written a book, and I'm like, I geek out when I see someone who like knows how to do this. So I want to talk to you about your books that can help people. So I want to, you know, if there's somebody out there that that wants to, you know, take advantage of your services, I would I would love to like share with them. The information. So talk to us about your books. So I have two books. The first one, The Strong Female Athlete came out in 2021. And that book was more an intro to female athlete performance and the research behind why girls need strength training and speed training and proper nutrition and recovery and sleep. So it was just like a very basic guide. Now, my second book, which I like to talk about more because it's more of a textbook and the, it's a little bit more rich than the first one, it has more of like that practical application of performance training. So it's called Female Athlete High Performance. And inside of it is a lot of um, exercises and technique. There's a lot of QR codes in there to get the videos of exercises. And then there's like workbooks and programming. But there's also a lot of text, too, and it goes into more detail on why female athletes should chase high performance. And I love the term high, high performance because it means 
raising the standard every year on your game and true high performers don't get complacent. They always make the littlest tweaks to get an edge over their opponents. And I go into a lot of detail, especially in like the nutrition chapter and also the, the load management chapter. And yeah, it's, it's a lot of insights and it's like one of my favorite projects to date. And I just really want female athletes to chase performance because when they do that, then not only do they become better athletes, but they also reduce injury risk. And I, I think what we're seeing now is a lot of girls are afraid of injury. Like there's more talks about how they're more susceptible to ACL and you have wider hips, you're a female. And it's like, well, I can't really change the fact that I have wider hips. I can't change the fact that I'm female. So shoot, like, am I broken? And I think a lot of girls get discouraged hearing this messaging. So I just stop talking about it altogether to my athletes. And I just say, hey, focus on performance training, become bigger, faster, stronger, more powerful, more conditioned, and you'll be fine. <laughs> Dude, I love that. And so I, I when I, I checked it out on your Instagram page, I clicked your, you know, your link tree. And I found it's on Amazon. Is, is that the place that they should go to find it? Because I want to put the link here in the description so that they can find the book. Yes, it's on Amazon in paperback and hardcover. And honestly, I recommend the hardcover version just because it's so big. But also the hardcover version is in color. And there are a lot of pictures and diagrams in there. So you definitely want the book in color. <laughs> That's super cool. I, I just got to ask, how long did it take you to like put that all together? Like, you know, I guess the whole book, just like from the whole just framing it out, trying to make sure you had all the stuff pieced together to actually like publishing it. How long from start to finish, how long did that take you? About a year and a half. Wow. Okay. Dang, dude, that's crazy. That I'm <laughs> just by you saying that. And like, I was looking at it on Amazon. I'm just like, there's so much that probably went into that. There's like a lot of, you got to make sure the information's right. You got to you know, put stuff in there properly. You know, all of that. That's crazy. Okay. I geek out about that. I think that's super cool, by the way. I just think it's awesome that you've, you've added that to the, to the repertoire, right? Like you, this is what you do um, as a coach and you have all this information out there to provide to people. Uh, my, my other question for you, Erica, is if somebody's listening to this right now, the show has been downloaded across the entire U S. So there, there probably are some things in, you know, some, some listeners in Florida, but there's also other listeners. Do you provide services remotely still? I saw that it said remote on Instagram, but I wanted to kind of ask you, like, how does someone take advantage of your services if they want to get in contact with you as a, as a, as a coach so that you can help them? Yes, I do work remotely. I just offer one program where it's more customized and more like one-on-one -on -one and Zoom check-ins. It's called my Speed Queens program, and it's oh, full programming for in-season and off-season. Um with like video technique and feedback and messaging and also zoom check-in. So that's like my baby program. That's the only one I got. And then the rest is just get the books. Um, I recommend people start with the books first and you can actually like do your own programming within those. But once you want to get more detailed coaching, then go to the remote program. And you can find that on my website at ericasuter.com or just find me on Instagram at fitsoccerqueen. Sweet. Okay. So that's what I was going to say. I'm going to, I'm going to link all of these things, the website, I'm going to link the books. Um, obviously I'll link the, the Instagram. Do you have any other social media platforms that we could post here for anybody or is it, are you mainly on Instagram? Mainly just Instagram and then also Twitter at fit soccer queen. And that's it. 
Sweet. Okay. See, some of the folk, all these young kids, they don't even really utilize Twitter. I love Twitter. Twitter's like my time, man. Like I love it's Twitter. It's so fun. <laughs> Twitter's the best, dude. I know. I, like yeah. Everybody thinks I'm an old head. All my kids that I coach, I'm like, dude, guys, you're 18. Like, Twitter's not that old. Like, come on now. I don't feel like I'm that old. I'm 35. So that's uh, <laughs> awesome. So I'll, I'll link your social media, your Instagram, your Twitter here, website, and the and the books links as well so that people can take advantage of this. I'll probably end up getting my own book, even though I'm not a female, but I might actually have to get one to share with some other people because I think it's super, super cool. So thank you for sharing that. Now, the last question I have for you, Erica, as we wrap this up is obviously the, the one of the biggest reasons I started this podcast in 2017 was to show people the congruencies between sports and life because everyone used to tell me that like I was huge into sports. I said sports are all just a bunch of dumb jocks. Everyone's dumb. I said, no, no, no. There's, there's a lot of things you take away from sports that can go into your regular life. You've actually mentioned a couple of those things already within this interview, but I want to ask you if you could just say, what's the biggest life lesson that soccer has taught you so far? There's so many to choose from, <laughs> which is the beauty of it. I mean, sports are just, they're just so valuable for life, but I think just coming back to the idea of challenge I think it is important to still challenge yourself and do things you're not comfortable with, especially in business. I mean, you have to be taking risks and you have to be calculating those risks. And if you don't do that, then you're not ever going to grow. So it's it's really important to not get complacent and to always find ways to level up. Ooh. That is beautiful. That is what we will end with because, uh, and I'll probably make a social media clip out of that. I, ho I hope everyone knows this. Is probably You're probably already seeing that on social media because that was wonderful. I love it. Erica, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for joining me. And, and I know you're super busy with all your stuff going on, but thank you for taking the time to, to join me and share your story. And I look forward to connecting with you hopefully in the future as well and seeing where everything progresses. But I just want to say thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you so much. Absolutely. For all those listening, make sure you hit the subscribe button because we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks guys. Appreciate your support.